Hi, Esty Besties, and welcome back to the Sounds Like Spot podcast. I'm so excited for today's topic. Oh, I'm your host. I always forget to introduce myself. I'm your host, Maggie Walker, Associate Managing Editor of Skin Inc. And like I was saying, I'm super excited for today's topic. I think it is one that we are planning to dive more into in 2024, but I don't think we've covered nearly enough. And that is discussing all things regulations. So I have Suzanne Schmeling with me. But I'm going to let her introduce herself because she's going to do a way better job at it than I would. So take it away. It is. Uh, my name is Suzanne Schmeling. I am a licensed master esthetician with over 30 years experience. Um, been teaching for a really long time. And as I got into my industry further, I realized that we needed some advocacy help. So I created the Aesthetics Council, which is an advocacy and educational organization focused on really helping to support and strengthen our industry. So I'm really excited to be here and to start talking about a very complicated subject, but we'll try to get it as simple as possible so everybody understands. Yes, I agree with that. As someone who I feel like my brain just sometimes for some reason like doesn't compute regulatory things well or like when laws are being put into place. I don't know how else to say that without making me sound like a total idiot, but... You're not alone. No. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. I know we've been talking about this for a while, and you said like September is when most of the updates happen, right? Yeah. So that's it, depends on where each state is in their legislative session. So there's two things we're talking about. One is the legislative side, which are the bills and the statutes that you hear about. The other side is the rules. And rulemaking can go on for a year after a bill has been uh, passed. So we need to separate out the two. And then, um, like in our first column we're going to do, it's all about the bill process so you understand what's happening. And then on the regulatory side, that's where we deal with the cosmetology boards. And that's where we get into a lot of trouble with our modalities as well. So we need to kind of separate the two out. So where we're at right now is we've had bills that have passed for 2023. Now we're going to go into a 2024 legislative session. So there'll be some more things popping up that we haven't anticipated. But there's a few things that have passed um, in a couple of states that are noteworthy in 2023. So it just depends on the state you're in, unless okay. you're a manufacturer or a device uh, manufacturer, that's going to nationally, you're affected, obviously. Okay, that makes sense. So what are some of kind of the latest updates that you've seen recently? Yeah, so the things that I'm really watching, there's, there's two states that I'm really heavily watching and have been involved in. One is Nevada, uh, where... We've had an ongoing situation for several years. Uh, the other is California, which more, is more about the rules, which we will talk about in a few minutes. And then there's two national bills. Uh, one is called MUCRA. Uh, it's the Modernization of Cosmetics Act. That inadvertently is going to affect us um, in, the, in that it affects our manufacturers. So... The only manufacturers that are exempt from registering with the FDA now are ones that are making less than a million a year. So we may have some small pro lines that don't have to register, but in general, all of our manufacturers will have to do so. Uh, 
if you're an esthetician that's a small business and you're distributing products under your own brand, you also will be affected. Um, but again, it's that 1 million mark. So you may be able to get um, under a million and not have to register. Uh, the big issues are safety testing, making sure that everything that is being sold to the public around cosmetics is safe. And then also adverse event reporting. So as always in a spa, we're always going to report to the manufacturer when something goes wrong. There's a portal that's going to be put in place with the FDA. So it's really important for you to at least ask some questions of your manufacturer. Um, what I read today is they're actually pushing out the enforcement period by six months. So it used to be the end of December where we had to have everything uh, registered or the manufacturers do. Uh, but now we have six months before they're going to start to enforce that, which is good because it's okay. a mess for sure. So affect our manufacturers, which in turn is going to affect us. Um, the other thing is the interstate cosmetology compact, which unfortunately we are not included. So estheticians and nail techs have been completely excluded from this act, which is to allow license portability. And I was on the original committee uh, that looked at this and I was really hoping that we would be brought to the table uh, because we honestly have the same scope of practice as most cosmetologists, right? Unless it's a math license, we're, we're pretty much sharing a scope of practice. Um, for various reasons, they omitted us. Um, so if there's paths in your state if you're a cosmetologist, great. If not, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. Uh, it comes back to us having to try to standardize uh, what our hours are and what our scope is. I mean, we have a lot of work to do for sure. So that's on my radar. I know a few states have passed that, including California. Um, and then state-wise, uh, you know, we have various stakeholders that are hiring lobbyists and will put forward either in a master institution bill or some sort of a change on a bill. Uh, sometimes those work, sometimes they don't as far as being good for the community, uh, our profession anyway. Oregon and Nevada are two really trouble spots that I've been involved in for a while. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people that don't understand the correct terminology uh, and how it's going to affect our scope of practice I've just pushed some things through that are having to be cleaned up right now. So uh, we're still in rules process with Nevada, Oregon. Um, they've already pretty much decided how that's going to go with some exception. I know people are pushing back, but understanding the process there is going to be important. Um, and then we're all, I'm also watching California. Uh, the information bulletin that's been put out about cryotherapy devices, among other devices, uh, is problematic. Um, Multiple states have identified cryotherapy as out of our scope or needing to be done under medical supervision. And we all know cryotherapy is therapy with cold. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a specific device. So the way things are written are done by people that don't understand what we're doing and it's really going to impact our scope of practice. So that's a fight that we need to take up. The other issue that I'm seeing as well is uh, we have medical boards and different um, industry stakeholders on the medical side that are trying to submit bills that define the practice of medicine. And often what happens is they kind of grab with both arms everything that we do with 
from chemical peels on and try to classify that as practice of medicine. That's not directly our board that's doing that, right? But once it becomes a statute, it directly affects us. So we may miss that. So now what I have to do is I have to watch the medical side and I have to watch the cosmetology side to stay on top of what's being submitted. And that is a trend across the nation, especially with some of the latest issues that we've had with people getting hurt. The, I mean, you've heard about the Texas death recently, right? From the IV and the med spa. Yeah. I don't so, think I did hear about that. Yeah. So unfortunately we had a med spa that was doing some uh, distance supervision, so, which is pretty common, not just with aesthetics, but I see nurses do this all the time where you basically have a contract with a medical provider to supervise you. So an MD in most states. Uh, usually they're not coming around a whole lot. So this med spa in Texas, um, they're calling it a non, non-licensed personnel that uh, did an IV with some prescriptive only ingredients and it ended up killing the consumer. Uh, so Texas is going to be very hot button. There is a lot of people up in arms. And instead of identifying those specific things, it can be pretty much anything that can, could be considered somewhat invasive based on that scope. Texas has a really poor um, cosmetology aesthetic scope. So we've got to watch that really closely and get our, our voices to the table. I don't know if it was an esthetician that killed this client or not. Uh, they lump us together with non-licensed personnel, which I have a real problem with because, you know, we're licensed in what we do. Yeah. We have to watch this space very closely. Every esthetician that is licensed in Texas needs to be on top of this for sure and be ready to react when we start to see bills. Um, we've been able to make some changes and hold some things off. And I'm really, you know, happy about that. But this is this is the world I live in lately where it's just nonstop. So getting the word out is really important. Everybody needs to know because we all need to be working together to try to head some of this off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can, Okay, I like this to kind of segue the next part. Um, I don't necessarily want to say, I mean, I guess responsibility is a good word, but like where would you say like the esthetician's responsibility lies in like taking action and taking part into some of these changes? Right, so... <laughs> It's so hard. I mean, when you're in the room eight hours a day, not to mention, it's really more like 12, right? Because yeah. you're having to chart, you're having, there's so much business around it. You're exhausted. I remember, you know, 12, 14 hour days in my practice. Um, on your feet, no less. On your feet, on your feet, talking to people, having to be on all the time. Yep. Um, love it, but it is exhausting. So that is why I created the Aesthetics Council so that we kind of kind of help each other, but we are a nonprofit. Like, it's not about making money. It's about all of us trying to work together. So there's that side of it that we need to get on top of. Um, really, what your responsibility is as an esthetician is you're a licensed professional. You have to monitor what your state board is doing. I mean, it's just bottom line. And how you do that is most of the states have some sort of a rules and regulations sign up where you can get notified every time a rule comes forward from your cosmetology board. Wow. On the other side of that is every year the cosmetology board lists all of their meetings. So you don't need to check it monthly, but you need to be aware of what those meeting dates are 
and what they're proposing. So Virginia is a really good example of this, where they are like in overdrive with their meetings and regulatory committees. Like you've got to be on top of it to know what's going on. I get notified through multiple states just in my email, what's going on, click on it, take a look and see. So really all you have to do is focus on what's going on in your state. Then with legislative season, it's the same thing with your state uh, legislature. All you have to do is go to your state legislature website and you can actually search for bills that may have cosmetology in it or cosmetic medicine. All kinds of different little keywords can pull those up and then you can get an email when something is submitted uh, by the legislature. Now, I have special software that searches for me because I have to constantly do, you know, 50 odd states here, not to mention other issues federally. So um, that's why being involved in an organization like Aesthetics Council is helpful because we aggregate all of it. And we only focus on the things that are important or like if there's a bill that's submitted that isn't going to substantially change our scope of practice or hurt us, we generally don't follow it. Uh, but if you're really interested in doing that, you go to your legislature website and look at it. Uh, legislative season, you want to check it probably every other month at a minimum unless you're getting you know, feedback from an organization that's checking it for you. Um, that's the first part. So just watching what's going on and being aware, super important. Um, and I hate to say it, but Facebook is not the place to get the latest bill information. I'm sorry. It's we were talking about facts and what you see in front of you, not what people or groups' opinions are. Even our own opinion on aesthetics cancel. We'll put a position paper out, but I'm not going to beat the drum through Facebook to get everybody crazy about what's happening. I'll just let you know. And I only post when it's something important that I don't try to overwhelm. Yeah. So go straight to the source there. Um, the other thing that you need to do, obviously, is understand what your laws and rules actually say. And I know that is so frustrating because they're vague and they're deliberately meant to be vague. So when somebody tells you, yes, absolutely, you can do this, unless it's written in your actual rules, no, you can't. You don't know for sure until there's some sort of legal process. Unfortunately, that includes lawyers too. I've seen quite a few conversations happen where people say, oh, my lawyer looked at this and I can get away with this. this, this. Well, that's not the case. Unless it's an adjudicated, which means going before a judge or it's coming down from the attorney general even, it's not a set for sure thing. And that's just our world. It's not just us. Everybody works in kind of a, a gray area with laws and rules, but you just, you have to be aware of what your board is thinking and then you have to understand whether or not it's an actual administrative rule or it's an opinion and opinions are not law so there's a lot of opinions by our boards out there that are not accurate that can be challenged but we have to do it the right way yeah number one stay you know keep your eyes out stay involved check in with your board get on an email list um, around the latest things and number two try the best you can to understand, at least read your laws and rules. And if you have trouble with that, reach out to the aesthetics council and we can help you try to kind of parse through it. Um, if you feel like going to a lawyer, that's great, but I can guarantee you what the lawyers say, maybe they're not the end of the all. I hate to say it. 
might be a wishy-washy. Yeah. It's like, I'd love to say there's one, you know, person that can go tell you everything is in scope or everything is not. You just won't find that. There's more opinions than there is facts. Well, and I think just kind of like what you said, where not only are they intentionally vague, I feel like at the same time, bills can tend to be intentionally overwordy. They're not really direct to the point either. And I think that's what can be so intimidating when you've got this and you're trying to read it and understand it and digest and pull out. I think that's like, that's what I'm trying to say is the tricky part is trying to pull out what actually matters. Because I feel like even when um, we did an episode on the microneedling update that was hitting uh, New York, I believe, all the way back like March of this year, and I was reading the bill and I was like, what are they saying? And then... And I don't think it helps sometimes when they're updating like one small, like they'll update like, or what I've noticed is they'll update like one or two small sentences, but you have to read the whole bill. Like they don't tell you just what they're updating. Like you have to sit there and read the whole bill and you're like, so what's, what's new? What are they changing? It was, uh, I remember just sitting there being like, oh my God, (laughs) just trying to digest it. I was like, so wait, (laughs) it is. And it's crazy. I mean, I, I literally was not going to be this deep into the aesthetics field. Like I used my license to get through college and I was going to go to law school. So I spent a lot of time in pre-law trying to, you know, get my head around that. I, I just, I'm able to look at statute and I'm able to write rules and I just, I'm able to do this and I don't expect everybody else to do it. This is definitely not a career path that I recommend. But that's why I spend a lot of time kind of doing overviews of the bills that come in. And I know the keywords to look for. Yeah. Be looking at a scope of practice is really about when they talk about where it's hitting the skin or um, right now the big fight is that I'm seeing come up is anything that's labeled prescriptive by the FDA should be under doctor supervision. Well, this labeling by the FDA is about directions on who can use it, not saying that only a doctor can use it. So even our state boards, a lot of them don't fully understand or they do and they don't care. They just want it to be as clean as possible and say, well, if the FDA says it, then we're hands off. So those types of fights, I don't expect the average esthetician to pick up, but I would say the minute you see a bill that you know is going to affect you in one way or another, reach out. I mean, even if you're not over, just send me an email so that I'm I'm aware of what's going on because my time is spent on the big bills, the ones that are affecting most of the members. Um, And sometimes there's little bills that come through. I've seen that a lot in the Midwest where they put, you know, just one little bill through around, say, microneedling. Or New York, New York always likes to pull every little part apart and do little bills in succession if they can. And that's because of their their political situation um, also impacts what can go through at every state of okay. life. So you, you see it, you're not sure, just send it over and I'll get back to you and let you know whether or not it's something to worry about or not. Well, and I remember because what you just said is like, um, sometimes they don't really understand fully like either like the people making the bills and I remember reading, again, the the New York one, and they said, you know, the scope of practice, like it's going to go into the scope of practice for estheticians. And I was like, okay, so what is the current scope of practice for microneedling in New York? And I like 
dug through and it was like um doctors i like nurse practitioners weren't even on there for microneedling and then it was acupuncturists and i yeah. sat back for a minute and i was like That's wait <laughs> yeah i was like hold on yeah it, it's crazy and part of the problem too is those of us that are working in the field i mean we're so busy we're not at board meetings we're not in legislators faces we're not you know we're trying that's not who we are generally a person that enters the aesthetics field is really we want to heal people we want to you know we're touching people all day long the last thing we want to do is go sit in one of those boring things i've ever gone through which is generally <laughs> a board meeting or a legislative committee like i would rather go to the dentist i really would <laughs> so it's it's very hard and I understand it's hard. And that's why I'm trying to do like, I want my legacy to be at least we tried to, to protect our profession as much as we could for future generations to be able to continue the great work that we do and not for the public to think that the only thing that they can do for their skin or to take care of themselves is to go get plastic surgery, injectables, you know, all of these things are great, but that's, not what our industry is 100% about. And we're getting sidelined because there is so much money. And unfortunately, we kind of do it for ourselves as well because we do, we're an art and a science and we do have manufacturers that come in that don't exactly play by the rules and make claims that are drug claims or, you know, devices that haven't been tested or registered by the FDA and all of a sudden they're selling it to estheticians and somebody makes a mistake. And one mistake by somebody across town, like our IV death, can trickle down and affect everyone across the nation. Yeah. So our need for professionalism and standards uh, are essential. Like we are, we not may not be all medical, but we are really intimate with our clients, right? We're touching their skin. We're we're working on their largest organs. So we're kind of a cross between beauty and that health professional that really needs to be recognized by boards a lot better and the public for sure. So you are the best PR, you know, what you do as a professional licensed pro. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. You may not think so, but people are watching for sure. Oh, well that makes me really happy that we're having this whole talk now. <laughs> Hopefully it'll definitely get people looking and and kind of buzzed about it but um one thing that I did want to ask again just because I feel like for someone who's been in the industry for a long time it can even be overwhelming to stay up to date but I'm thinking also in the terms of like students who like just are getting in there what kind of tips or recommendations might you have for like students or maybe even schools to kind of help guide students and just that because I feel like you take a step and there's still so much even just graduating that you're getting thrown at you and learning like firsthand hands-on and I feel like this is definitely a big part where like me personally I would be terrified I would be like oh, yeah. well it's scary now compared to when I started too I mean it was basically wild west anything goes but, uh, I mean lasers came in when lasers first came in there was no guidance around them I mean we had you know FDA registration but most of the damage around laser hair removal happened back in the 90s because the devices were so crappy. So a lot of the stuff that's on the books that, you know, like how California went down, where they have excluded 
everyone that is not an RN or a doctor for use of lasers has to be repealed because it doesn't reflect current devices, but it's created this market that we can't get into now unless we completely go and try to redo licensure or do second tier. So as a student, it is scary because you rely on what your teacher in your school is telling you. Mm-hmm. Not many of them I have seen are really good at trying to understand it because they're trying to get as much information to the esthetician as quickly as possible and don't have a lot of time. So there, there's two approaches to this. And this, is, this brings up a good project that I've been trying to figure out how we do this. We need to have a focused level of education around compliance for teachers only. So the first part is to get the teachers up to speed. And we do have teachers that are not estheticians that are teaching aesthetics. That can be fine if you have the curriculum and the knowledge base, but you've got to understand the nuances within the compliance as well. So the first part is to get your staff educated. Um, And don't be cheap about it. You've got to be able to get them in there and do it, whether it's a CE requirement. You know, sometimes you can get those registered with your state for that as well. But get that information going. The second part is, as a student, you have to read the rules and you have to read your statute. And if you don't understand what you're reading, you need to bring that up to your teacher while you're in class. If not, then you start after you get out, you go to an organization like the council and you start to learn how to do this. And a lot of it is going to be trial and error. But bottom line is when you're sitting there thinking, well, can I do this or not? Number one, think about what you're doing to the fund. I think we often forget that. We see the latest and greatest device and I just want to get it because it's cool. What what are you trying to do to the client? Anything that is a really intense anti-aging claim, such as firming the skin, redensifying, removing wrinkles, anything with those intended uses, have a real issue with potentially being outside of scope because we know from the skin science side, you've got to affect the dermis for a lot of these changes to happen. Now, just because it affects the dermis does not mean it's out of scope because obviously we have cellular communication that can happen, but you've got to be very careful and really challenge the manufacturer about their FDA registration before you buy it or what training is around it. And uh, as an aside, a manufacturer can never tell you legally whether or not something is within scope unless there has been some sort of declaration around that modality, which you'll see through your through the um, cosmetology website. So just keep that in mind. If somebody's telling you something's in scope, but you don't find it within your rules that your cosmetology board, you've got to be very careful about that. Um, the other thing is thinking about where your skill set is. If you still don't fully understand skin science, which I'm constantly learning myself, there's a lot of new things that are out. But if you don't understand what that modality is going to do to your client's skin, don't do it until you have that under control. Uh, because chances are, again, you're going into a gray kind of danger zone. Um, the good example is the hyaluron pens that were all the hot rage, what, three years ago, four years ago? Remember now, it's well before COVID. Um, but the one problem that myself and a lot of estheticians that were in the field for a long time, the one thing we realized was we're taking something with a molecular structure that's a certain size and we're trying to pressurize it into the skin rather 
than doing an injection into the dermis. Mm-hmm. Right there is the first red flag. And sure enough, um, after time, the FDA got wind of it and it's issued, you know, ish, uh, warnings about that as well. And most state boards will allow it. But by that time, you know, we'd have distributors come in and sell it to everybody because it seemed like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. So we have to look at both things, not just somebody telling you this is in scope or not, but what actually is the doing to the skin. I think another concern that I think people often have just when it comes to bills and laws and legislation is they're almost they kind of fall into a what's the point? Will my voice even be heard thing? So I kind of wanted to like bring that up in terms of like, how can they make sure their voice is getting heard? Or is like, why is it important for them to still like get their voice heard? And how can they go about doing that and stuff like that? That is a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because that's 90 percent of what we deal with. And I understand that feeling because yeah, I'm just going to vent this moment. Nevada is driving me crazy because we've submitted pages and pages of documentation. We've got a great coalition of manufacturers like LightStim and Hydrofacial and Artemis that are all working together and we're still not being heard. So what do we do? It's really volume of voice. So a few things, let's break this down by legislative side, right? You see a bill and it really concerns you and you want to comment on this bill. Basically, the first thing I recommend you do is you make sure you're registered to vote in your state. You're a constituent of somebody in that state legislature. And yes, they do look at whether or not you're registered to vote. You can't see who you voted for, so that doesn't matter, but you've got to be registered. when you register also, that gives you um, identification of the district that you're in. So you can track down who your rep is. So when a bill is submitted, initially with the initial submission, you can reach out to the sponsor of the bill. And when you do that, it's generally going to be in a quick email or form letter that's available through your state legislature. You want to be very clear and to the point of what the concern is. It's not the time for opinion. It's the time for this concerns me and this is the action I want you to take. Um, I, this bill is going to hurt my industry. I'd like it removed. You know, something like that. So that's the first place. When a bill is submitted, it then goes to committee. And committee is really where you get to testify. And committees actually have a timeline and a very specific process to submit your uh, information. And you've got to really closely watch your legislature because I often find bills are put on committee within one week. So, for example, a bill gets submitted and then by Thursday of that week, there's going to be a meeting on Tuesday. It's really important. So you've got to be clear about what your concerns are. Uh, You would have been able to download and read the bill long before this. So usually what my process is, is I'm downloading the bill. I'm going through line by line. I've created my statement that I want to see with any supporting evidence. And then when the committee opens the door for me to submit a petition or however they want to word it, that's when I present that information. Um, If it's just to oppose the bill, um, you can easily do that through the same process, which is generally like an email portal. And you submit that. And in that, there's usually on the form something that you can click that says, I want to testify. And you'll get a notice back from whoever um, the staff administrator is, whether or not you can testify. If you're picked to testify, 
you have about two or three minutes to get your point across. But again, it's um, if you don't like the bill, be specific why, and then you always have an action with that. Um, I've been in committee meetings where estheticians have got up and rightfully been very angry about what's going on, but then turning it into this is, it turns into a blame game. It gets kind of ugly. Um, you have to keep your temper the whole time and keep decorum. Uh, and then you'll get hurt. If we have a bunch of people show up and be really angry, they tune us out. I've seen that more times than I care. So that's the way you get heard with your legislature. And then also, also knowing who your rep is locally, uh, whether that's a, uh, you do have a state senator as well as your house person, make sure you know the names of both of them and the email addresses and definitely get your word in to them via email or whatever portal they are set up for you to do that. So let them know that you're there. Now, the other part of being heard, which is frustrating to me right now, um, is rules. And in rules, where that comes down is you've got to watch your cosmetology board. And you've got to be able to show up at a meeting and in the public comment time, be able to, whether that's some of them are on Zoom, some of them are face-to-face, but in that public comment time, you have, I think, maybe five minutes if you're lucky, you can sign up to speak to your board. And when you do that, it's vitally, vitally important that you're clear and to the point of what the action is you want to see. They won't vote on it, but they have to hear you in a public setting. So now you're on public record, uh, whether you're in favor or against uh, the rules or something that's been presented during the meeting. Outside of that, a lot of states have something called a petition process. And you can fill out the information to be emailed to the board to be put on the board agenda. Sometimes they'll put you on there. Sometimes they pretend like they didn't get it. <laughs> you got to be back knocking on the door. But when you submit a petition, it's got to be very clear about what you want to see and what the action is and ask specifically for that to be brought up at a board meeting. Usually takes, sometimes you can get it within the next board meeting. Most of the time I see it within a couple of board meetings, you know, so it could be a couple of months um, before you're able to talk to them, but um, you can bring your issues up there. The one thing I caution against is going to the board and demanding that they determine whether or not a modality is within scope. Nine times out of 10, the attorney general that's assigned to the cosmetology board is going to tell you, no, it's not within scope. So there's a better way to do that. Um, I highly urge you, and it doesn't have to just be me and others, other people in the industry doing this. If you are wanting to do a modality challenge with the board of cosmetology, please contact us before you do it. And specifically with me, I have a set way that we do this that will not get us into a position where we automatically are told no. We may be no, but the process that gets us there has to be done in a certain way so that we aren't automatically shut down. So be careful about that one. Yeah. Like you have every right to show up and talk. I mean, especially if your license is in good standing. So A, you've got to be licensed because they do check that as well. So don't let it lapse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you can you can go uh, petition the board. Just be respectful. Again, I've seen some things unfortunately that are very respectful. In the minute somebody feels like they're attacked, they just shut in. Yeah, they stop listening. Yeah, for sure. So yes, you have a voice. It's just you got to know what to do to get it heard. 
Sometimes they will. Sometimes they won't. Um, when it gets to a position where they're not hearing us and they keep pushing us aside, that's when we need to band together and show up in force to a board meeting, which is where I'm at with Nevada. We need to show up in force and let them know that this is just not acceptable. Yeah. Um, which is good. I feel like it's nice also in a general sense. Like it stinks that nine times out of 10 when it happens, it happens because a change needs to be made or something more like something bad is going on. But it is nice to kind of like get that sense of solidarity solidarity and banding together as an industry. Yeah, a large unified voice goes a long way. Just one person like me standing up saying, hey, this needs to change, even though I have an organization, um, you know, it, it only goes so far because they we're not a lobby organization, so we're not registered lobbyists. So we have to have stakeholders, which is why I say registered about and be licensed in the state because those are the only people they're going to listen to unless you are representing a large group of people, which is, yeah, I've got a ton of members in California. So um, I have a, a lot of, I have a good working relationship with uh, California, even though things are still aren't changed the way I'd like to see it. But um, you've got to be able to band together and speak with one voice. Yeah. And unfortunately, we also have People within our industry, you know, from the school side, the buy side. I mean, there's there's people that have their own agendas that often use the legislative process for their benefit. Yeah. And this is something that I will always, always stand up and fight against because that's not what laws and rules are supposed to be about. We get over-regulated um, when we start to deal with this. And when we as an industry are together at the table talking about what's good for the industry, that means one person is going to benefit over the rest of us. So definitely be aware of things like that. And my job, I feel, is to reach out to everybody, including manufacturers, schools, everybody, to get them to at least be aware and come together with some common consensus, especially around client safety. And once we do that, um, I think we can make some big changes and the burden won't be a hundred percent on the institution like it is right now. I mean, it is, it's burdensome. Yeah. It's, I had really good news, <laughs> but I wish I could grab my magic wand and say, Hey, I think this would be great guys. You're, you're set for your career. But unfortunately that's not the case right now. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I, I think that. I'm getting contacted every day by people that want to help, that want to volunteer, that want to be out there watching things. And that has really grown just in the last year or so. So that part really heartens me. I don't feel like I'm all alone a hundred percent of the time, like I usually do. So, um, and I feel like there's more people that are not doing it for their particular agenda to get their name out or whatever that may be, which is fine. I mean, everybody needs to market and brand and whatever. Yeah. But this space is not how you do it. And this space around compliance and legislative stuff, it's not how you get your name out because nine times out of 10, you're going to do something that's going to affect a lot of people in a negative way. So I'd say be your something else out. Offer something else. Yeah work together with those of us who've been doing this for a long time to get on the same page and get some consensus about what we need to do. That's my ask anyway. So where can 
if people don't already know, like, where can they go for, like, these resources and, like, to find you and contact you and, like, all of that good stuff? Yeah, so you can go to aestheticscouncil.org and just shoot me a, a message or email me at Suzanne at aestheticscouncil.org. It's spelled as an E, not an A. And I'll be happy to get back to you or any of our volunteers will be happy to reach out to you. Um, when it comes to, I know I, I do get a lot of reach out about getting on the phone and talking about things and really kind of to help represent them. There's a limit to what I can do as far as representing you before your board or answering specific uh, scope questions. So we'll be really honest about whether or not we can help you with that. We have membership levels that allow me to basically pay for the time so I can go through your own particular situation and analyze it. But other than that, if you just need some general information, just reach out. You do not have to be a member to get that. Um, we'll be happy to point you in the right direction. And it's usually around your state. So one of the first things we want to know is what state you're licensed in. And that's where we start to gather some resources for you. But you, you need to stay local and look at what's happening within your boundaries. Because if you try to look big, um, you're going to lose it. That makes it out. Um, and we're also going to give you the link to your medical board site. You got to watch your medical board, especially if you're working in that med spa arena or you're doing more advanced modalities. You got to watch what comes down from medical boards and nursing boards. So really important that you look a little bit further. We can guide you to where you need to go. Chances are you already know what these links are to your sites, your cosmetology board and whatnot. But there's been a a huge influx of a lot of education out there, which I think is great. But I also want to bring to esthetician, especially once right out of school. And if you get a certification from a manufacturer telling you that you're trained on doing something in their framework, that's wonderful. That's great. That 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 fits your resume, but it may not necessarily fit your scope. So keep in mind. Education is great, and I can say this because I design it. I've been teaching forever. I can teach you how to use lasers and be amazing at it. But if your scope of practice doesn't allow you, that education cannot be used to yeah. go to those treatments. So I want you to be very careful when you start throwing around certifications and, you know, I'm doing this, I'm this kind of therapist, I'm this and that. Your scope may not support it, and it may put you out there as a target. Um, over the years, I've had pushback about us treating acne, which, God, if you if you see any state trying to say that we can't work on acne patients, please let me know, because this is a fight we want to take up. Um, I've seen recent pushback around oncology, you know, because that's a big medical term. We've got to be careful of what we're doing with it. And those that teach those classes, I feel have a pretty good grasp that that is a, a gray area. But for you as a student, just be aware um, of what you're doing. And know that it could put you in a really dangerous situation with your license if it's considered out of scope. And it just depends on your state and what you're dealing with. Good news is we've had some, we've had some wins. So that's, that's positive. The hard work does pay off over time. And, you know, we've got more and more people wanting to be involved. So there's hope. Yeah. It's well, not all doom, like, 
<laughs> Which I think there is a lot to say for not only like the wins that we've had, but I think there's a lot to say in just more people kind of showing interest, banding together, um, all that kind of stuff. It just shows like how much the industry is connected and coming together and kind of like stronger than ever, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm really, I'm very heartened by a, a lot of people that I see. I mean, I've been around for a while. I've seen a lot of people come and go and businesses come and go over the years. But I'd I'd have to say that those of us that have been at it a long time really want to help bring up the new estheticians that are coming in. We want you to succeed. And that's why we're doing a lot of the work that we're doing now to make sure that, you know, next year you're not losing the ability to do a facial because some medical board thought it was the practice of medicine. So there, there are people that really are concerned about helping the industry stay strong. There's manufacturers that care. And we're recently, we're going to be um, actually launching a program that identifies those manufacturers that care. Um, because it's important for you as an esthetician to also support that. And if we all support each other and we're all moving in uh, the same direction, I mean, nobody can stop us. This is, there's a lot of us. Yeah. There's of us that, you know, some of the, the, quite frankly, medical licensees. And not every medical person wants to do cosmetology, they don't want to do cosmetic medicine. So, this niche that's being created is one that is Wild West right now. And we need to have a seat at the table as this is created because we're good at what we do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like there's positivity and there's an ability for us to work together if we just do it. I was going to say, I am also really excited because you are putting together columns for us this year. Um, I still have yet to decide what that column will be called. So to, to be decided, but it is going to be a regulation column that is really providing you guys with nice digestible bites to, you know, whether it's about getting involved, understanding more, any updates that are happening, stuff like that. It's kind of creating more digestible bites for you guys to get it, which will hopefully also bridge some of that gap, some of that, you know, potential wariness or like nervousness to kind of take that plunge and that step into getting really involved. So I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be for 2024. Yeah. I mean, and the first column is going to be um, going through regulation or legislation, which is perfect timing because everything starts in January. So that's, we could use all the help we can get. And that column will be coming in our January issue. So keep your eyes out guys. Yeah. Totally cool. But I just wanted, other than that, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on this and, and to having this discussion. It is a big topic. You know, it's an important topic and it's a lot to kind of like go through and start the conversation on. But I'm glad we're really having this conversation. So I wanted to say thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really honored to be here. I'm glad that we're doing this. 